Jacob, I have a question for you. We are at the end of the year. You have looped with your kids. Like that means you've had them for two years. You're not looping up, right? You're not going to have them for three. Nope. So my question to you is, did the looping actually help with their growth? Man, that's a good question. I, I mean, I want to say yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if so, how do you know? <laughs> I I mean, so here, I think there was an interesting thing that I got to do this year. Uh, one, what I kind of feared happened, which is, you know, I use a lot of tricks, so to speak, to get kids engaged. And I kind of have some, I don't have a lot of go-tos. Like, I'm not a teacher that takes their lesson plans and repeats them next year and kind of uses the same stuff. What happens is, is I remember the really good ones and then I kind of pull them if they fit, but there's a few that have kind of stayed in Chastain's canon, so to speak, where, uh, those are just my kind of the things that I, I use as, as the opportunity comes, no in particular order, but sometimes things just work out. So I couldn't rely on that in year two. So it forced me to get more, diverse in resources and things like that. But in terms of looping up, what was interesting was, and I think COVID played an interesting role in this because even when my kids, like when we went digital, like we had a great relationship. So kids were writing. That's my class pretty, like we kind of ignored the reading side. I just kind of hoped that they were independently reading when we went digital. And, uh, cause you know, we, what were we going to do in reading? Like we could read passages and stuff like that. And we did, but it became a lot of writing and my students carried that over through the summer to where they would still send me stuff. And then when we started, we were two weeks digital. So kids were doing that, but they automatically started with, Hey, I've been writing this. Like even kids that wouldn't really jump on my zoom. They were like, Oh, I, I was writing over summer. Here's something that I want you to check out. So immediately I was bombarded with all the student writing and student voice. And I was wow. like, Oh, so I was, I was, and we, they were already had that connection, right? I didn't have to teach conferring. I didn't have to teach the the process. My classroom structure stayed the same. Mini lesson, read, write. Mini lesson, read, write. And it was the exact same thing from before. So, uh, the we we started a lot faster. So I mean, kids were publishing already because they knew my publishing standards, right? They knew the the kind of process. So, and that's most of them. I had some new students who didn't have me last year or they had a different teacher so that there was some bridging the gap of just knowledge, but in terms of taking off. So, uh, I would say, I think they benefited it from the sense that there was no building. It was, we're back, let's go. And so, Kids immediately were writing amazing pieces, like to start off, uh, and so and I, I knew who they were. And the cool part was, I've talked about this before, and I strongly recommend everyone do this. But um, you don't have to have an iPad to do this, but have the app Notability. Uh, it is my favorite app for keeping notes with conferring, and so I literally just transferred my students over to the new year. So I had all of their conferences from last year that I could just add to. So sitting with kids at the beginning saying, Oh, where did we leave off? Like, Oh, what happened to that piece? Like I got to have those conversations. And so there was, I mean, there was no gap in learning. We got to start instantly. I still had all the records of all, at least all of my students. So there was no gap and I could remind myself, Oh, this is their style. This is kind of where we were going. Oh, we left off with commas. Okay. Let's see where their commas are at. So I would say they benefited quite a bit, uh, 
because of, I think half the battle of a teacher is knowing your students because that informs where your mini lessons go. It informs the type of pieces. If you're, you know, using books, it informs the type of books that you're showing kids. And so I didn't have a lot of that this year. I didn't have to build. Also, a lot of teachers, I heard from a lot of teachers that the mass being in the classroom was, uh, that, that, that hurt, not hurt, but it delayed kind of relationship building because you're only seeing half a face. And so you learn Mm -hmm. names slower. Was that true for you? Yeah, I think it was a little bit difficult. And you couldn't tell their expressions. You didn't know if they were smiling, smirking. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that problem. I knew what my students looked like, right? They knew what I looked Mm -hmm. like. So there was a lot of weird benefits just from COVID. Like there there there's a lot of things I uh, stepped around because of the looping. I mean, it was definitely the best year to do it. But I will say my students that have been with me for two years, they have a Chastain flavor in their writing now. You know, like I, the being around me as kind of the guiding mentor um, has definitely influenced some of their stuff. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I think it's time that they experience something new because they don't all need to have my voice and my flavor and kind of my focus on stuff. I think that I gave them the necessary tools to wear now, depending whether they have great teachers next, mediocre teachers, new teachers, uh, teachers that teach more traditionally, whatever. I think I've given them the building blocks to take what they can from each of them. And then eventually, hopefully, uh, create their own voice, whether that be for actual pieces or, you know, like your voice in an email or your voice in a resume. So, uh, I would say yes. <laughs> Hopefully, that, that I mean I'm crossing my fingers, but based on my data, I do think that they are, they are, they have had a massive advantage by being with me for two years, and not because I'm a great teacher, but just because of the benefits of having two years with kids. Right. Well, with that, welcome to Craft and Draft, and I'm Pam. Ochoa, and that's uh, Jacob Chastain over there. And uh, today we're going to be talking about ending our school year. What's it going to be like? What do we need to do? Et cetera, et cetera. Especially closing out during workshop. So, Jacob, how are you going to close out with your kids? I mean, because you've really got some relationships built up, sounds like. Oh, yeah. There's going to be tears on all sides. (laughs) You know, I had a a student. So I have an end-of-the-year project going. Let's talk about that real quick, I guess. Okay. So my end-of-the-year project was... Uh, it's in four parts. The the fourth part really isn't a part, but the first part is they have to select three to five of their favorite pieces that they wrote this year, uh, put it in one Google doc. And at the end of each piece, they have to kind of write a brief reflection, um, about why they like that piece. Why do they consider it their best or why do they like it the most, et cetera, et cetera. Part two, they have to write a letter to their future self, um, whatever they would like to do that, you know, a nice future reflection, very common at this point in time. And then part three is a choice so they can write, uh, Oh, not the, I'm sorry. Part two was a reflection on their year because I wanted them to write a piece that was very much about like you guys, y'all are in school during a pandemic. Like odds are in a hundred years, this type of situation isn't going to happen, right? Like it'll be quite a while before people live through something like this again. Um, hopefully. Right. So, right. 
uh, I was like, it's going to be unique. I was like, you might not care about this reflection now, but it, it really might be something that you look back on when you're like 50 or 60 or something like that. And you're like, wow, that was, that's a wild time. Like your kids might ask you about this one day. So, uh, so part two is the reflection. Part three is the choice. So they can either write a letter to their future self they can write a letter to someone that's made a difference in their life and, or they can write a review of their favorite book that they've read that year. And then part four is put it all together. But, uh, part three, the letter, I, I was sitting with one of my students and they were talking about, they were talking to another student about who they were going to write to. And she was like, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I don't want to tell you who I want to write. And they were like playing this game about not wanting to tell like who they were going to write about. And then one of them sent me a thing like, Hey, I need you to check out this piece. And then a, it was a letter to me about oh. their writing. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm already getting hit by this stuff I was like because it, I mean, it was like a genuine it was exactly I didn't share it on social media or anything like that because it was like it's a very personal letter but it's like this student and I like we like she I think I've talked about on the podcast before but like she considers herself a poet now like she her parents mm-hmm. ask her what she wants to do and she's like I'm gonna be a writer and she's had like a crazy trajectory like she's gonna be the, one of the ones that I know probably my whole life right like just casual like whether we become friends or colleagues or whatever when she's right you know old enough I, I don't know that much but like she's someone that'll be you know catching up on every once in a while I'm sure we'll be friends on social media at some point when she is graduated but uh you know reading stuff like that so coming towards the end of this year it's like man like our closing out of the workshop is also closing out of like a two-year saga right Right, uh, and even a lot of them that I didn't teach last year, they were all they were in my room all the time. Like I had a huge lunch crew last year back in the day when we could let kids come into our rooms during lunch. They didn't have to hide in the quarantine cafeteria or whatever. But the you know they would come in, and a lot of them just had you know so much fun, and it, it, they're going on to a new teacher, and they're very nervous about it. They know eighth grade's different; it's a forty-five minute class versus a ninety-minute class, and uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that's kind of my focus right now is like, we're, it's, it's not the end of relationships, but you know, kids move on and they, it's closing out. Like they've had two years of English with me. So their view of English in middle school is only me to a large extent. So, um, I'm also, I'm trying to prepare them. I just hired our, a new eighth grade teacher. And I think she's awesome, but she's different. You know, no one, you're only Ochoa and you're only Chastain. So I don't know. I don't know if that answered the question or not, but how are you, how do you feel as you're closing down? I mean, do you feel like during COVID that it's a, do you feel like it's a different type of ending or is it, is this just another year, but with masks in terms of endings? Well, um, how is it going to end? I, you know, the kids are, they're excited about leaving. I know that my my honors class, they were sad that I won't have them on the last day. So they've already been talking about that. So Why I do you? think... Are y'all doing a different thing? Yeah, because um, apparently it's a half day. And so instead of spending all the time with... Like, they, like in some schools, they do like a little bit of each class all day long. And then they're only doing the last periods or whatever. Oh, so, so th- my honors is in the morning. So they were just like, Oh, you know? And, um, so I've already had, I had, uh, one girl bring me flowers already and thanking me for the year. So I, I think the point is 
those kinds of things happen when you make connections with these kids. So even though it was a COVID year, it was a very difficult year. I still feel like through the writing process and through our reading process, uh, they seem to appreciate the way, and I think I shared this with you, uh, off air. And that was the fact that the way I asked questions of them, I mean, there was one time this girl, she said, Miss Ochoa, that, that's a hard question. You ask questions different than everybody, you know, and I think it's just because yeah, I like to dive a little bit deeper. I want them to be thinkers. And so I th- they're kind of, one of the kids the other day also said, um, he said, well, you know, I think I'm going to, um, I think I'm just going to fail on purpose so I can have you next year. So, I mean, so those kinds of things I said, now you can't do that, you know, but the whole, the whole thing is I do think that they get attached. I can't imagine two years cause that's, this is just only a year and most of it was COVID and we had to be you know, six feet apart from all of them. It was not a typical year. In my typical years, this is where we would do, I would circle all the kids up on that last day. And we, that piece that they liked the best, they would, we would sit around and we would share our pieces at the end and have a nice little ceremony at the end. Um, I might do that if, if I can on that last day. Um, so I might see if I can get that worked in, but that's what I typically do is they all select their favorite piece. And then we sit around, we get, put all the desk out of the way and then we put chairs, you know, and then we sit in a circle as best we can. And then we, um, we share our writing and, uh, that's typically how we, we end and it's kind of a celebration, of um, the year and moving them into the next grade level. So that's one thing that I kind of like to do there at the end. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And here's the interesting part to all of this, right? You know, you have your, you know, you want your kids to reflect on that. I have my kids reflecting on it. The, isn't it like, I just find it fantastic that like classes, like what we're talking about, you know, it it didn't exist. Like when I was, I didn't have, I can't think of one English class, not one, including college where I was kind of given free reign to write pieces the way that I wanted to write pieces. You know what I mean? Like I was writing quite a bit and like, I've always wanted to, I was a big reader and like, I always knew that writing was going to somehow be a part of my life and in some form or fashion, you know, it started with fiction, but I was very creative. And like, even in my essays, like I tried to, like, I loved writing essays and it was interesting to me. And I liked the challenge. And that was probably one of the only assignments that I actually did, uh, in English, but mm-hmm. I, w- I was still like, and I had great teachers, right. Um, several that I've named all like, throughout like every podcast I talk about old teachers, but they, I never had that free reign of writing pieces that I cared about. Um, well, actually let me back that up mildly. There are some instances I had my fourth and fifth grade teacher who I looped up with. He taught social studies in fourth grade. He taught English and science in fifth grade, Mr. Hanson. He, I remember in fifth grade, uh, writing like these crazy stories that he would just, you know, really enjoy. And, uh, I would write, like, I remember reading, like learning about how, like, uh, like learning how like poetry didn't have to be like three stanzas or whatever, like learning that like poems could be like several pages. I remember as a kid writing this long poem just because I wanted to, you know, I was like, I'm going to write the longest poem that's ever existed. And, uh, (laughs) 
so stuff like that. And I guess, uh, hang on, I'm backtracking again. Fourth grade, Miss Urban, she would have us write these stories. And then what she would do is she would gather us all up in the class, right, in a circle, just like you said. She would sit in the middle, and we would all wait to see which one she was going to read. And then, like, I remember, like, her reading one of my horror stories. Um, uh-huh. Like, I, You know what's funny? I probably wouldn't have remembered that story, but the reason I remember parts of it is because I remember her reading this part where it was the phone was ringing, and I had this character like walking through the room to like get to the phone, but then I had it ring like every few lines or whatever. You know, like I was experimenting with that as like a fourth grade writer. And I remember her pausing and going, guys, isn't this such a great example of how like she said something along the lines of like keeping a scene going or using sound to like keep the pace of stuff going. And as a writer, like I remember like beaming like in my little chair is you know what I mean and but like uh, I, yeah. I probably wouldn't have remembered that at all if it wasn't for like that moment like I, I think the only reason I remember that story is because my teacher praised it and I just I it's wild to me that you and I you know like just just normally talk about like empowering kids to write what they want like I think that's wild to me well I think so I um while you were talking sitting in the circle there's a uh, one of my trainers, um, Rosemary Dink, uh, if I, she retired a long time ago, but a uh, sweet lady, sweet teacher. She taught, I think, third grade or fourth grade right in there. And um, anyway, she had what they called an author's chair. And so she would have this special, um, oh, you know, the, the director's chair. And she'd have this director's chair, and then on the back of it, it would say author's chair on it. And she had it all, you know, kind of tall for the students. And so if you wrote a piece and you were really proud of it, or if it was she was proud of it, like what you're saying, then she would have that author. We have a special guest today, and and it would be like Jacob Chastain, and he's going to share with us his horror story. And then you would go up and you'd sit in the author's chair, and that was her way of publishing for the students. So it was really kind of a neat thing your story reminded me of of that see in that so here's the thing what happens and we're probably getting off topic here but it's okay Okay. what happened to so i got that in fourth and fifth grade very specifically like i i 100 remember i can i can feel what those experiences are like today i don't remember i don't remember that at all in middle school everything i remember in middle school has and now that was a very turbulent time for me as a child but in middle school, I remember reading like certain books. Like there was one book that I, rem- I remember our teacher maybe once a week would call us up and go, all right, come show me your progress in your book and talk to me about it. And I, I bought some book at Walmart one time with my mom and it was like, I think it was called the Celtica. Very, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. It's definitely my library upstairs right now. I still have it to this day. Um, and I've always kept it because of this story, ironically enough. But she, I, I, it was way too hard for me. Okay. Like I didn't understand a dang thing that was happening in this book. But I kind of pretended like I was reading it. So I would always, when she would call me to check my reading progress, you know what I did? I flipped about 10 pages and then I walked up to her. And so, Good for you. <laughs> and I, <laughs> You Which goes to show reading. you, well, yeah, I was. I was a, ironically enough. You were the enough, real fake reader. Ironically enough, I liked reading. Like, I was just fake reading this particular book. And because so it was. That's so 
hard. Yeah, and because it was a part of an assignment, right? I felt the need to fake read. Like I would have probably gotcha. abandoned it if it wasn't for that. So, not to insult her, like I'm sure she was doing fine, but and I I remember several times where she would side eye me because I think she knew I was fake reading. But as an educator today, I'm like, why didn't you just like talk to me about it and like get me onto something else? But I digress. Um, <laughs> But in middle school, I remember like reading The Last Book in the Universe, which was one of my favorite books as a kid. I reread it as an adult. It's still very good. Um, But then in high school, like I had great teachers and they showed me good stuff. Like I remember reading Antigone and like my mind was blown. Like Antigone was my first like play that I read where I was like, this is phenomenal. Like this is such a cool story. I can't believe people hundreds of years ago were writing books or writing stories like this. Like that was so mind-blowing to me as a teenager, uh, and I, I love those teachers for showing me that, but I can't name one instance after fifth grade where I was asked to write about whatever I want, and that is – that I feel like that's why you and I do – where we're so passionate what we do is because – we, you know, they that we make the saying, or so whoever says it, like they say, middle school is where reading goes to die. It's like secondary is where writing goes to die, and I don't know why. That's right, um, I, it, it, because it becomes an exercise, I, and I don't know why. I guess it's the standard. I don't know if it's the standards because the standards that we have, if you really look at them, are not so tight that you couldn't do a workshop. And well, choice. there's not even. I mean, there's some... there's not a, there's nothing in there that says you have to read this yeah. book. It just says uh, genre specific characteristics. I mean, so that means it's open to any any book. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from, but I think you're right. I, I do remember uh, my writing experience. Uh, a few things. Uh, first of all, I don't really remember uh, elementary writing at all. I don't remember writing stories. Uh, I do remember my mom uh, teaching me on a big chief tablet my ABCs. I remember that. And I remember learning how to actually write in cursive because I used to pretend, you know, not pretend, but practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After that, I don't remember writing stories. I remember doing math. I remember reading books. The Boxcar Children was one I remember that we had to read. So did you have independent reading time as a kid? No, I don't. And I know that we were encouraged to go to the library. And, but then I don't think we were given time to read too much. It wasn't until seventh grade that I had time to read. See, like, uh, much like writing, I I had very specifically, I had reading time in elementary. After that, I don't think I had any reading time. So, like, I'm literally like, no independent reading or writing time was given to me in any of these classes after the fifth grade that I can remember. Well, I was fortunate because um, in the seventh, actually, seventh and eighth grade, because they had reading in eighth grade at my school. So, I had the same reading teacher. Now, I didn't have the same English teachers, but I had the same. We had one reading teacher, and she taught seventh and eighth. Miss MacArthur, and I think she's the one who made uh, made a huge difference. But she believed in choice. She had a classroom library. She always encouraged us. She always talked to us about our reading. Um, she would always, I mean, and she had all kinds of books. It was just any any type of book. But they were main. But I, I do remember most of the ones I chose were motivational, inspirational type books. So maybe that's what she had. Uh, things that would inspire young kids. Um, 
So I don't know, but but I never I don't remember going to the library was not something you really wanted to do because the librarians were kind of don't touch my books. So that was kind of so I don't remember going to the library other than to do research. And we had to only do the research that we were told. And that was it. That's what I remember. Uh, I doubt that on my junior theme. I remember writing that, and he gave me an A on my ideas, and then I had to type it up, and I didn't know how to type on the typewriter, and I didn't do my my things just right. I didn't have my end notes just right, so I ended up with a C because my typing was not good. So that's what I got out of that, and then uh, you brought up Antigone. What I remember about Antigone is that we are anti-sophomores, and so we had to remember that Sophocles uh, wrote Antigone, and that's all I can tell you about Antigone because we needed to wow. know that for a test. So oh, she gave us the a answer. Shame. No. <laughs> and then uh, let see, me see right what else. there. Definition like, of ruining something great. <laughs> Yes. And then, uh, but we did get to, I remember we got to write about something we liked because one of the guys, he wrote about fishing and he got up there and read his piece and his whole piece was wishing I could fit, wishing I was fishing. And that's about the only, I can't tell you at all what I wrote about. So no, I didn't have a good, I got to college and it was, they were redundant. I mean, I, I did not have a positive writing experience or reading experience, really. I don't know how I fell into it. My So that's so fascinating. So even though I didn't mm-hmm. write my own like chosen pieces in high school, and even though I didn't have, really have uh, independent reading time, I still, I I remember books that I read. So I read, I wasn't in honors or pre-AP classes in high school. I was kind of a lazy student. I probably should have been, but you know, it is what it is. I read Huckleberry Finn on my own. I read Fahrenheit 451 on my own. I read uh, Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time on my own. I read Charles Darwin on my own. I read, I read all of the, like I read a lot of nonfiction and I read, um, a lot of kind of the classics just in the library on, well, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, while I was skipping classes, I didn't want to go to, I was reading these books, but so that <laughs> I did go to class. Well, I, I'm under no, I didn't have time I was not to a read. Good student. I was, I didn't have time to read. I was going to class. Yeah. See, that's, <laughs> I skipped class and had a lot of books I could read. So I, and the librarians really never questioned me. They were just like, oh, this kid with long hair is reading books in the library all day. Cool. He must be a, a student. Little did they know I almost failed my senior year. But regardless, I, uh, you know, I, 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 so I don't, I remember those books and I remember the, I remember being in the library. I remember reading Fahrenheit 451. Uh, in the library. And I was like, holy crap. Like, I know that's kind of a middle school slash high school book, depending on where you're at. But I remember a highlight. I had my own copy uh, from Half Price Books and I still have that copy today. It there, I just started highlighting stuff. I never highlight anything in books. I just don't do it. Well, back then I did because I didn't have a phone, but now I just take pictures of passages. But I remember highlighting all of these rants about like society and respect for the voice and respect for the written word and stuff. Like that. And like that, a lot of that has ingrained, like Ray Bradbury, like changed my like perception of like the ah. written word in a lot of ways. And I like, I remember having that experience and I remember writing essays in my English class. Like I, I, I even have the title white walls was written, uh, 
I have part, you know, it's fine. I just remember this. I have parts of this in my book, Teach Me Teacher. I have an essay I wrote in high school that's in that book. Uh, not whole parts of it, but like a section um, because it was such a thing. So like I had this writer and reader identity because of who I was. But I just like, if I had, imagine if I just had one or two classes, right? I didn't have to be my whole high school and middle school career, just one or two that let me write and let me be creative. Cause I was in a band too. And I was writing lyrics and stuff. I wasn't a singer, but I, huh. I was, a, I was writing lyrics for singers in the bands. And so I was writing poetry essentially. And I was writing all kinds of stuff. Like imagine if I had a teacher that let me bring that into the classroom and imagine if that teacher sat with me and conferred and guided me little by little into making better choices as a writer. Cause I was already using model text. Like I would put on the way I wrote music back when I was a younger person is I would listen to whatever song I was obsessed with. Right. Uh, and then I would play it on repeat and I would write lyrics that followed the model of the song. So I think this is why I love the idea of modeling so much because that's literally how I learned how to write music is I didn't know verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Like I didn't know any of those terms. I didn't know, I didn't know stanzas. I didn't know rhyming necessarily, but I learned it by modeling what I was writing after the music that I cared about. So that's how I learned. But if if one teacher would have stepped in, right, and gave me that power to do that in class and then guide me. Uh, as an educator into writing better, like I, I would have probably progressed in a variety of ways a lot faster. So I don't know, like, and you're saying you had none of these experiences. So what, well, I mean, Miss MacArthur for reading, I had that, that, that was seventh and eighth. I I got to loop with Mm. her in a way because she taught, she's the only reading to, because we had reading in the eighth grade. Then at ninth grade, they didn't, it was a junior high. So uh, it was a seventh, eighth and ninth grade school back then. <clears throat> so uh, I had her for reading both times. So I think if it wasn't for her, and then if it wasn't for my sister, because she loved to read. She Now, talking about an avid reader, there is nobody. I mean, I, you might can, but I'm just telling you, there's nobody else that can read as fast, as many books. I mean, she's just a profound yeah, reader. Honestly. And uh, so what she would do is she would, um, she's four years older than me, and so she would... Uh, it's probably because my mom didn't want me reading, <laughs> but she would go buy a book, maybe Harlequin, you know, those kind of books that you find at the drugstore. But she would uh, go buy me a book and her a book, and then she would have a contest with me to see if I could beat her. And so, and then we would talk about it afterwards. So, so actually, that was my my reading experience as far as being able to read. And I think she helped me with my fluency. But and when I got to college now, you have to read, right, in college? Yeah. One textbook. And so I just, I, I love nonfiction. So I usually read, you know, I didn't have a problem reading textbooks. And I know that's weird, but that I kind mean, of stuff is, what, is good to me. You know what's hilarious is I actually, I, I would read textbooks too, like as a kid. Like I would totally do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, especially when I became, I loved history, like in college in general, I loved reading history and diving into that. And I would go down rabbit holes that didn't help me at all in class and stuff like that. But, uh, in my masters, like a lot of the textbooks that we read, you know, they were written by people that I admire, you know, like Todd Whitaker and, um, a lot of really like, uh, 
I think his name is Smokey Daniels, uh, reading their stuff. I would just read the book. Right. And I read like all of this stuff and it was cause you know, I enjoyed it and whatnot, but this, I don't know. I, there is the, your, I don't know. I, I'm curious to ask you, you know, when did your, do you have a memory of when you're like reading and writing identity started, uh, to form? Like when did you start seeing yourself, as a reader, was it the same with writing or were, were they, was it a separate progression? Uh, reader probably in, in college. Uh, it's not the same. Were you uh, like, I, was that when you started like reading a lot of novels and stuff or? Yeah, I'd write, yeah, I'd read novels. I think it's because I was stuck in the dorm room and then I played volleyball. So we were stuck in on big old long bus trips all over the country. So what do you do when you're, and we don't have, you know, we didn't have cell phones or smartphones back then. So you'd, you'd read a book. So that's probably where I started reading. Um, when it comes to writing, writing was always a chore. Uh, I know that we had one teacher, a uh, professor that would have a journal and we would write. So I've written in that journal some, um, but it wasn't anything that would, I can't tell you one thing I did in it. Um but I did fall in love with literature in college. I had some good college professors that just loved literature. And it was, you know, I took Shakespeare. I had the best, I can't, right now I can't tell you his name off the top of my head. It was so many years ago. But I had, I took all the Shakespeare classes they offered because he was just phenomenal. And I enjoyed learning all that. So I, I loved that. I liked the, I took British Lit, so I uh, talked all about the, the British poets and all of that, uh, Lord Byron and Percival Shelley and all those people. So I, I fell in love with literature probably my junior and senior year. I, it's so interesting to hear you say like you had a journal or whatever and you don't remember anything. I don't, that's the thing. I don't remember having writer's journals at all. Like I, I, Only in college. Yeah. My, my English college stuff was kind of lame. I had, uh, I had teachers that, I don't know. I always signed up for classes late. So I always ended up with like the classes that were just so like hyper-focused on grammar. And like, as someone who wanted to write, like write, write, not just write, not just get through a class, but really wanted to write, like talking about grammar, like, you know, I probably needed the instruction. It was the last thing I cared about. Like, and that's the that's such an interesting point to me is because, you know, we, we're, we love, you know, we're English teachers. We love words. We love structure. We love grammar. Mm-hmm. We love the, the, why you use an M dash or what, you know, what's the use? Like, how do you write the longest sentence you can grammatically correct? You know, like we love diving into that stuff because we're dorks. Right. But like as a young well, writer, like <laughs> right? Like you're, you're on the dark <laughs> side. So you, <laughs> but well, I- uh, I had I had Dr. Keating and she was my grammar teacher in college and yeah. she was phenomenal. Go ahead, I'm sorry. So uh, my point is though is that like uh, there there is I feel like, and this is I feel like something that has transitioned. It's probably come in and out of practice. Um, you would be more knowledge about than that than me. But this idea of just meeting kids where they are and then teaching from that point, I feel like is such a revolutionary idea and i feel like it's something that has freed me to be okay with where i start like there's i i see teachers a lot you know in my campus and just out in the world and you know i get a lot of dms from teachers and 
a lot of them, I feel like, expect their kids to come to them at a certain level or with certain knowledge. And, you know, I don't know if any of that is unfounded. Like, I, maybe you should expect like no that. No other down. Yeah, you know, anything like that or, you know, being able to tell me what a verb is or like, mm-hmm. you know, and more complicated, more complex stuff. But it's like, so what if they're not like, I feel like that idea of just accepting where kids are, I think is such a freeing idea. I don't think it coincides with state testing because you have to get kids to be able to do something on the state test regardless of where they come from. And that's, I mean, that's obviously why state testing is the bane of our existence in some ways, but Mm -hmm. ignoring that, just being able to accept kids who for who they are and where they are, I feel like frees up our practice because it becomes so much less, Oh crap, I have to teach this. And then it transitions to, Oh, you're here. Okay. I need to teach this so you can get to this next phase. And I feel like, I don't know, just from listening to our experiences with school, I feel like that, I mean, memories are vague, so I don't want to put anyone in a, in a false, you know, state, but like, I feel like in all honesty, I feel like we didn't have that. I feel like we were just kind of expected to be where we were. And I feel like what we talk about on craft and draft and what, you know, Penny Kittle, uh, Nancy Atwell, Kelly Gallagher, like all of these, Jeff Anderson, like all of them are okay. Where our kids are, what do they need next? I, that question, I feel like, is such a more nuanced question than where should we be. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Do Do you resonate with yeah. that? <clears throat> oh, I do. I, I I do think it's uh, what we need to do next. Um, you know. So the writing side of that question, you know, I I told you about the reading, uh, but it wasn't until after I was on my third year of teaching that I finally felt like I could write, which is kind of a tragedy because there I was teaching. I'd already taught eighth grade writing or English, and I've already taught uh, ninth grade two years. So that was at least three years of teaching. Actually, it was my fourth year because my first year was Texas history. So anyway... Um, but it wasn't until my principal said, you know what, I'm going to let, let you get out of coaching and become a teacher for us, but you have to go to this three-week writing institute. And that was the New Jersey Writing Project of Texas, which is now called Abydos, which I'm a trainer for. But it wasn't until, it was probably the fifth day of that, I'd say the fourth and fifth day of that institute my life was transformed, and I found stories everywhere. I found stories in the trees. I found stories in the, you know, in the leaves. I found stories in my life. I found, and, and it was all because of what you said earlier, and that is they met me where I was at. They didn't come in and say, oh, what, you've been Eng- teaching English, and you're not, you know, there was no judgment. It was, let me show you how to, do, let me show you how you can find your writing identity. And so I think that is, um, you know, th- that's really what happened. They're the ones who taught me how to write. I, I, and that's that Rosemary Dink I mentioned earlier and uh, three other wonderful ladies. Um, and they took the time out of their summer for 15 days. It was a 15-day institute, eight hours every day, and I learned to write. And teach it. So the very next year, uh, they had me teach it. And what the, one of the things they did is they had me do a dialectical notebook where I had to write down what it was I did and how did it work 
on the other side. So one side was what I did. On the other side was how did it work? So I had to reflect every day for at least a minimum of 30 days. Then I turned that into them, and then they gave me feedback on what I did and how I can make it better or gave me affirmation and validated what I was doing. And I think that is my transformation story. But as a kid, I really do understand. And I think because of my experience, when I, when I think that's probably what drives me in the classroom for my, each one of my students, at least the best of my ability. And that is to let them have the experience I had during those first 15 days. I want them to have a whole year of it. In your case, it would be two years of it. But I, I think to me, it, it transformed my life. Boy, could I do the same thing for that kid? You know, that would be awesome. And that's what I strive for. Well, and I think that is, I think that's our really, I know it's it's like a meandering way to get to kind of the, what we want at the end of the year, which is, you know, in, in all things being equal and just thinking about what matters, you know, I, I want my kids to, are all of my kids writing pieces that they feel deeply connected to? No. I would say the majority of them are. There are some that they still do not necessarily like writing. They don't. They they like the class and they like the writing time, uh, but they don't. You know, they don't feel deeply connected to their pieces. They you know they they published far less than other people. You know, I have some kids that have published over forty pieces this year. I have some kids that have published under ten. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 not a perfect world, and I don't think anyone should ever believe it ever is. But do they feel more confident in their use of language? I would say probably ninety nine percent do. Do they feel like, and and that that's the the point of all of this, right? Is you know it's awesome if a kid leaves us and they want to take their writing and actually you know make pieces and and write poetry and write fiction and whatever they want to do, right? Actually write for people, but. Just being able to control your words in a way where you're confident to where you are no longer, you know, if you have to email a teacher, for instance, in digital learning, like, do you know how to properly communicate in a way that's effective? And like that stuff that, that benefits them in so many more ways that go beyond the more idealistic sense uh, that where I kind of dwell a lot of the times, like I think they're the practical part of what we're doing is just letting people, right? Letting kids be comfortable with their voice. And what does that look like? What does your voice sound like in an email? What does your voice sound like in a resume? What does your voice sound like when you're mad at something, when you are frustrated, when you want change? Like that That's the gift of an English teacher is making someone comfortable with experiencing ideas that they agree and disagree with in books without rage quitting, right? It's like you should be able right. to read a book that you disagree with for the the pure aspect of honing your knowledge of other people uh, and not just reading what you want to enjoy all the time. And same thing for writing. You the the gift of the of writing in an English classroom is not just creating stuff that you like and not just being creative, but being able to use your voice for whatever purpose your voice needs to be served in the future. And I, I think that is the, the, this is the, the sweet spot of English teaching. So, you know, as we close down for the year and think of last task and, you know, school school. So it's like, you know, you don't want to like 
You can't give them a worksheet or something like that because they're not going to care. So you have to kind of be creative in what you want. You can give passages, I guess, but it's still kind of whatever. It's like in the end, I want it to be a wrap up that they enjoy that where we can honestly reflect on stuff and then be a good send off. Like, cause it, it might be something they remember, uh, you know, real quick. I talked about how no teacher ever let me write about something, but miss hammer in high school, she taught me twice. I specifically remember our senior year. She had us all have a piece of paper with our name on it. We passed the paper around in a circle and people had to write nice things to each other on there. Right. And she was very specific about that because obviously you hand kids papers. Hey, write about this person. Right. But we all enjoyed it. Like we all like I remember making like kind of new friends after that exercise. And like I remember being really interested about who said what about my thing. And like and I remember like writing about other people. It was it was such an interesting thing. But like she might have that might have been a strategy that she just found the day before. I mean, like probably. But it was. But it had but a it was profound impactful. effect. Yeah. And that's, I think that when, you know, talking about how you close down a workshop, hey, close down a classroom, it's like, honestly, you don't always know what's going to be most effective. So just do your best. And I don't know. I think if you have kids' minds, uh, you know, if your kids come first, then I think whatever decision you make, I think closes it out pretty well. Well, I think that's good. <laughs> This is an episode of Crafted Draft. We closed it out. Hopefully you are nearing the end of year. I've heard, you know, we end like literally at the end of May. I've heard some people going in to June. So where wherever you listen to this, hopefully this is kind of a nice walk down memory lane. And, uh, you know, if you guys haven't noticed, you're a regular listener of Crafted Draft. You know, we're... Craft and Draft is our system. It's our journal system. It's a book coming out uh, eventually. It, it is all of these things. But this podcast is so much more about having great conversations, just, just uh, sometimes debriefing, sometimes planning, sometimes diving deep on philosophy, celebrating stuff. But it's it's just two teachers having great conversations. So hopefully you like listening to us. If you do, you can hit that rating. That really does help us out. Hit subscribe to so get every podcast, every podcast release on Friday, roughly. Sometimes it's that night, but it depends on where it goes. But every single Friday, Craft the Draft drops. We're talking about workshop. We're talking about teaching. And you know it's real conversations because we are real public school educators in Texas. That's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain and know that we are here for you.